We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part of work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. So should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Nerds. I'm Brent Satoris, and I am joined today by the Mark Traphagen, who is Senior Director of Marketing at Stone Temple Consulting, a very accomplished SEO and, and very well-known and accomplished speaker, and also a, a good personal friend of mine. So, Mark, I'm, I'm very uh, happy to have you on the show today, and I appreciate you joining us. Brent, thanks for inviting me, and I've been so looking forward to this. I know the conversations that you and I have when we're together at conferences or other places are always uh, amazing and fun, and I'm glad for this opportunity to bring us to uh, more people. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, if anybody's listening, you know, the conversations that you're willing to participate in and the depth that you have, I've actually gotten to a point where between you and, and Eric Enga and, uh, you know, Dwayne Forrester, I'll look at a conference and I'll ping you and I'll be like, are you going to this? <laughs> if you're going, then I might go. If not, I, know, yeah. I might not oh. go, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does affect, I mean, because this is something that people need to know. You know, this is maybe a little bit off our topic for today, but it's it's fresh on my mind. I've been thinking about this today and there's, you know, people People tend to think of marketers as being uh, somewhere down there, you know, among politicians, lawyers, and other beloved people in society <laughs> a lot of times. But I think you and I know that we, we have found this tremendous uh, community of wonderful people, uh, especially among the, the online, the digital marketing community, the dig- digital marketing professionals. They are great people. They're interesting. They're curious. They're involved. They're fun to be with. Uh, they're very supportive. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the joys of going to conferences is not just the great information you'll hear, the opportunity to be able to speak and network, obviously, try to find business, but just seeing our friends. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing to have in, in an industry where you're, you know, where you're working. And even if you wanted to go a step further to take it away from just how you know, beautiful the friendships can be, and I mean, and how meaningful they can be. You can also go into the fact that, you know, when we, when you really look at getting things done, it's who you know, you know, nine times out of 10. I mean, oh there's, there's, a, there's a level of knowledge that needs to exist, but, you know, being able to reach out to people who are entrenched in this type of work and who have, you know, totally different, you know, knowledge sets and, and, and data sets that they've been looking at and say, are you seeing something familiar to this? Oh, yeah, I actually have, and this is exactly how you fix it. Mm-hmm. And it, it mm-hmm. cuts months' worth of time out sometimes, you know, in a quick phone call. So it's extremely valuable, and it's something I think, you know, people really need to think more about when they're going to conferences is really connecting with people um, and making it meaningful. Absolutely, I agree. You, you can't underestimate the value of that. And I think people, that's why, you know, conferences are, are thriving. They're doing, many of them are, are doing well and people are still going in this age when we could do all this online, right? We could do it in other means, but uh, there's something about being present and, and sitting around a lunch table at the conference or a bar late at night and just getting deep into things and bouncing things off uh, other people who are seeing amazing things or have done studies or are looking at something in depth that you haven't had the time to look into. And just the relationships that form, uh, knowing there's people out there who you can reference and who will help you and who will connect you with the right people. Uh, it's a great thing. 
So, so one of the things that I, I wanted to talk to you about, and it's kind of cliche in the sense of being close to the beginning of the year, but I think it's, it's something that people are really looking for at the beginning of each year. And so I'm curious, you know, um, there's, there was a lot of things that happened in 2015. Some, you know, were, were more hype and some were kind of some of the same, but there was some significant mobile changes. There was some significant changes in 2015. And, and everything that I've heard, you know, from talking to reps, at some of the different engines or even from the, some of the different social sites is, is that 2016 is going to be just as impactful, if not more. <laughs> um, and, and so I wanted to talk to you a little bit um, you know, about 2016. What do you think people need to be focusing on? What do you think is going to be impactful uh, for marketers and business owners in 2016? Well, let me, uh, let me bring up a few areas. There's many areas I could talk about. And these are I'll start with some areas that we see as, uh, and we looked at very carefully, you know, it's already emerging in 2015, but that are going to remain being important into 2016 and are only going to grow in importance in their effect. And then we can maybe move into one or two things that sure. we think are kind of new emerging in, uh, in 2016. Uh, so the first of those, those three areas that I'll talk about is the, uh, is the, cha- the mobile ranking changes. Um, what, uh, what people, uh, referred to, came referred to in the industry as mobile Geddon back in the spring mm-hmm. of this year, which our, our mutual friend uh, Gary Elish from, uh, from Google cringes whenever anybody says that because it's, uh, it sounds so negative. But, uh, you know, that was, what, what that was, for anyone who might not know, was Google announced, uh, and it was one of those very surprising and rare times when Google came out and told us something major that they were going to change, they were going to do before they did it, and then they did it. And this was, they said, that with the rise of mobile and the fact that they were seeing more and more searches taking place on mobile devices and the, the fact that uh, the experience, of course, as we all know, on mobile is very different from desktop, that uh, they felt it was important to their users that sites be mobile-friendly. Sites show up well on a mobile device. It's a, it's a different experience. And so Google wanted to incentivize that and so the way of doing that was to actually come out and say, if, you, if your site is mobile friendly, if your site you know, works well, looks well, is easily used, easily viewed, easily navigated on a, on a mobile device, on a smartphone in particular, then we may give you a ranking boost for that on a mobile device. And you know, it, it's very shocking when Google does something like that, but I always call it uh, Google behavior modification. Uh, sometimes they tell us these things because well, they want to change. They want to change our behavior. They well, one of the th- one of the things that was very very interesting about that was two points really. One, mm-hmm. mobile friendly is not. I think there's a, a bit of a misunderstanding amongst uh, you know small businesses or people who aren't in the know really that mobile friendly doesn't necessarily mean that it shows up on a mobile view. It, it really is a bit vague. Yeah. On, on what whether they mean it's mobile friendly as in it it presents itself in a way that it, you know it's responsive or it, it shows up in in the right format things are clickable text is readable but also in the fact that it's um loading fast um right. that speed, it, it, you know, speed, definitely a factor. you know right. all of these type of things um so i think that was uh, an interesting thing but I, I feel bad about that update i think that you know, in the history of, of, of what we've done online, um, it, it, you almost had to go out of your way 
to get knocked out of the search engines. You almost had to go out of your way to to be excluded. Um, you know, links, they came, you know, sure, you could go and make a page that was purely an image, and it wouldn't be indexed, and you'd get, you know, kind of hosed. You could accidentally no index or, you know, um, tell Google not to index your site. Um, But these were normally mistakes or, or minor things. This was a change that was announced to people that wouldn't actually have to do anything because most of their projects were already mobile friendly. Um, but the people that would be most affected by this would probably never find out. And that's the thing is it's gotten more ruthless, hasn't it? And it, it has to, I think, you know, I, I'm not going to debate the morality of, of it. That's another discussion. But from Google's point of view, uh, there's, there's an interesting article just last week, um, by, uh, by the chief of marketing at Google, and it, it picked up a lot of perked up a lot of people's eyes and ears because he talked very openly about. He said he wakes up every morning just with his mouth dry, fearing the competition. And he may be using some hyperbole there, but it's an amazing thing to hear. You think you know Google is like they're on top, they're so in charge of search, and who could possibly topple them? But they don't feel that way apparently, and they know they've got to keep their users happy, so their focus. I often like to remind people, Brent, that, you know, I think a lot of times website owners think Google exists to uh, serve them, to make it people, make it easy for people to find their site. That's never been Google's mission. If you look at actual Google's mission statement is to, uh, I don't remember the exact words, but something effective, you know, to, to organize and provide the world's information. That's their mission. And they're going to do that in the best possible way for their users. So with more people using smartphones, uh, it, you know, if, Google, if, if you do a search and you come to a site that's a crappy mobile experience and it's hard to navigate and that frustrates you, Google feels like ultimately that reflects on them. Like, we sent you here and we're responsible. So it is becoming, it is becoming more ruthless. And I guess maybe the takeaway from that is that uh, anybody that's trying to do business online can't afford anymore to be uninformed. They can't afford to be knowing what's not knowing what's happening in the search world. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because you see it so much, right? I mean, it's it's just you know as far as we've progressed, most people are still kind of like, yeah, I'm supposed to do social media. Why are you supposed to do social media? I don't know. I'm just yeah, supposed right, to yeah. do it, right? Like or the same, answer, you can say the same thing about content, right? You know, yeah. you keep the, hearing like content is king. Well, why? What? Why? Yeah, exactly, yeah. right. But the good thing is, is that regardless, there's there's never it's never forever, right? So all of these people are going to get you know, back indexed at some point because technology, you know, is going to continue to progress and, and all of the services and stuff that people have, you know, as they remake sites will be, you know, mobile friendly by default. And so it'll start kind of getting a little bit better, but. Yeah, it'll get caught up. And this is, you know, Google gives a kick in the pants. We know this every once in a while, uh, these days anyway, they didn't used to do, like you said, in the, in the old days, they didn't used to do this at all, but it seems to be the norm now that, you know, we saw the, uh, Panda and, and Penguin, uh, that you know that was a real that should have been a real wake up call to anybody that works online, that Google's not messing around anymore, and they're telling us like we are going to be ruthless. We are going to, if you're putting out crap or you're trying to manipulate the search results or you know anything that we think is a bad experience for our users or doesn't give the best search results, we are, you know, we we know where you are. We're going to find you and we're going to kill you. 
Yeah, essentially, uh, right? Paraphrase and, me and, and they had said that, like, I think about a year or two ago, Matt, when he was still, you know, speaking and, and kind of being a public figure, had kind of made it clear that, like, you know, we're giving you a last chance to kind of reprieve at this point. Um, going forward, all, all bets are off. Like, the, yeah. glo- the gloves yeah. are off, you know. So one of the one of the questions about the mobile coming back to that uh, when it first came out and they actually told us like the day again very unusual very interesting mm-hmm. that they told us this is the day we're throwing the switch on you know they said that would take uh, once that happened they said well it actually is going to take a few weeks for all the results to settle in and for it to you know come to what it's going to be but still they told us like you know as of this day the the mobile ranking update is in effect so. What we did at Stone Temple Consulting was uh, we were fortunate enough to have taken a large snapshot. We had a set of over 15,000 queries that we had, uh, we had studied, uh, and we, we, had, we had taken a, a chunk of those, looked at those before uh, the mobile update, well before it, uh, which was a few months before it, and said, like, here's where they're ranking, here's where they are. And then about a month after, when it seemed like everything had probably was kind of settled in, we took a look at that, that same group of 15,235 queries. And it was a very interesting study because a lot of people, the anecdotal things you first heard after the, in the weeks after mobile getting uh, was supposedly turned on was people were saying like, eh, it was a, it was a big, f- you know, fizz out. I, I didn't really see that much change, but these were all people that were looking at, individual results they were maybe just looking at their own sites and things like that and maybe they didn't some of them saw it some of them didn't so i don't see that big a change but we were looking at again at this large set of queries and to cut to the chase you know what we saw was it 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 did have a significant effect and the effect that we saw and this is going to kind of play into your thing of like it's it's ruthless uh was that it was far more damaging than it was raising uh whatever word i want to use there so in our query set, we saw that uh, 46, over 46% of the non-mobile friendly pages, and, and I should say, just to be sure that, uh, to define that, we were using Google's designation. So if you've searched on a smartphone any time in the last year, you've probably seen sites where Google will put a little tag on the, on the search results that says mobile friendly. So, you know, we don't know everything that that means, as you were saying earlier, but we took that as the evidence. We we're going to assume that if Google puts a tag on there, this is a site that the mobile update should affect. So what we found again was 46% of the non-mobile friendly pages, pages that did not have a mobile friendly tag in the search results, lost rankings over that period of time. And only did you see a significant loss? I mean, were we talking like one or two positions or you saw people just disappearing? It was, it was all over the map. So was any, anything from just to get one or two positions drop to, uh, to major dropping, like dropping a page or more, to in some cases disappearing. So, uh, you know, we didn't do the stats on that, like down to that level of how many uh, dropped how much. But we were, just lo- we were looking for, basically just looking for, did you go up or go down? And we wanted to have a big enough sample, knowing that there were other updates that happened during that time. So certainly, you know, not everything in this sample went up or down because of the mobile-friendly update. But we saw enough to say it's, it's definitely statistically significant that far more uh, mo- non-mobile friendly pages lost ranking than gained it. So the ratio there was, was like 47% to 19%. Uh, in terms of 46%, 47% lost ranking, only 
uh, about 19% gained ranking. And on the mobile-friendly pages, it was more split, 30% gained and about 25% lost. So pretty much within what you'd norm, the normal fluctuation that you'd expect, because anybody that watches search rankings know they go, they fluctuate, they go up and down all the time um, within a certain margin. But we felt like this was significant enough to say, yes, uh, the mobile ranking uh, factor did, the mobile ranking update did have a significant effect, and the main effect of it was for non-mobile-friendly pages to tend to lose ranking. And, and just to kind of provide kind of like a path to listeners, you know, um, if, how do people find out their, their effect, if they're affected by this? How, do, how would you, you know, recommend people kind of start the process of fixing this? Is it as simple as doing a website redesign? Or what would you say kind of your elevator barroom pitch would be for somebody who is complaining about this issue? Well, I think that it is, first of all, I think it is something that you should address. And as Google spokespersons have said, but this is, you know, one occasion when I don't think they're just, just blowing steam. I think this is right and true. You should do this regardless of the, of the ranking effect. Um, this is just good for your users. If it really is true that uh, more and more searches are taking place on mobile devices and appears to be true, uh, I believe Google said, la you know, last year was the first year on a global basis that uh, mobile searches surpassed desktop searches mm -hmm. for the first time. And, you know, as Matt Cutts and others said, it isn't going to ever change. That's not ever going to go back. So you got to think about the experience. And now more and more, one of the things that many of us in the, in the search engine world are talking about these days is, is how important user experience is. And that it's even becoming, in a sense, a ranking factor because Google is getting better at evaluating that on a machine basis, looking at a site and saying, does this site have the characteristics that a site that users like and enjoy being on and find friendly to them has? And they're being able to measure that and, and evaluate that. Um, and that's going to be, you know, become more and more of a factor. So why are they doing that? Because you should have the same motive as Google does. Google, as we said at the beginning, wants to have a good experience for its users. They want you to click on a search result and be happy. If you're a site owner, you should want people coming to your site to be happy. Uh, it's not going to do well for your brand if people are frustrated, if they can't navigate the site, if it takes forever to load on your mobile device, if it's hard to read. Uh, so that's the number one thing. I think this is just something good to do. And then beyond that, you know, as far as the priority of it, I think that should be one factor is thinking about how important is this to my users. And then to prioritize it, you should look at your, uh, your analytics. How much of your traffic is coming from mobile? If you're getting a significant amount of traffic from mobile, then this seems like to be a higher priority. But you should also look over time, uh, you know, look way back, look over the, um, you know, early 2015 at least into the present. Have you, are you starting to lose search, organic search traffic from mobile? And if you are, then that may be an indication that this mobile update is, uh, is impacting your site and you need to do something about it. I, you made a good comment in there that I liked. It's like, you know, Google for a long time talked about quality, but I don't think they were in a position to really dictate that, you know. And I think that, you know, they mentioned mobile and then they were able to kind of, you know, and even they mentioned it for like three years before that came, right? Uh, maybe mm -hmm. even four. Uh, you know, and now they're able to do that. And I think that if you if you take the the trend of the people involved and the messaging involved, then I think you have to to respect the concept of HTTPS being in that same boat. 
you know, uh, going forward with them pushing over and over about how it's not about rankings. It's about, you know, the security of the site and the good experience. And, oh, by the way, it might help you if it's a tie. And, oh, yeah, it's going to actually help you regardless. Um, you know, I kind of see that as another one of those that's floating around and maybe something that's going to be a bigger kind of impact in 2016. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it wasn't initially because that was another one that they announced. You know, so that uh, they didn't quite announce it as clearly as they did the mobile-friendly update. Uh, but as you say, they kind of hinted at it and they said, you know, we're we're going to start. We may start giving a little boost to you know, pages, and that set off a big. You, you and I both remember it. You know, big for people thinking that this was going to be a huge update and was going to have an effect. And once they said that, yeah, we're starting to do that. Uh, we studied it, you know, Marcus Tobert, search metrics, a couple other people studied it. And bottom line was, at least initially, we could not discern any significant uh, boost. So, you know, there were small things here and there, but again, you know, anything, not enough that was able to separate from the general noise of the general fluctuations of the search results. So that would led to the questions that you just answered, you know, where we started asking uh, at conferences. We'd run into these uh, Google representatives and ask them, and Eric Enga from Stone Temple was on a panel uh, with I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was on uh, a panel with somebody who from Google who was very much involved with the uh, the HTTPS movement within Google, and that's where the quote came from, where he said, uh, "Well, it's basically a tiebreaker, um, or that could be one way. That could be one way that we're using it. That it's not like a major ranking boost, but all other things being equal, you know, we have two sites that are you know pretty equal, but this one is secure. This one's not." we're probably going to give the nod in the ranking to the secure site. Um, I do think it will become more important. They haven't stopped talking about it. Uh, they, it's actually it rhetoric, rhetoric's gone up. Like it's oh, what I hear yeah. about every yeah. single time. And in fact, when, when we were in Texas, um, you know, Gary was just like, you're not an HTTPS? Get on it. You know, it was yeah. just like, what's the deal? Like, you know, have we not made it clear? You know, and I was like, that was very impactful for me because it wasn't like a, maybe you should. It was a like, what do I have to tell you to get you to understand yeah. that you need to go to HTTPS? Yeah. yeah. And so those, when you hear that kind of thing, you're saying like, okay, you know, maybe this is not having a huge effect right now in terms of rankings and traffic, but it sounds like it could. It sounds like at some point they may turn up the screws on that. So, you know, maybe a good idea to get a, out ahead of that and, and bite, bite the bullet on that. And the other side of that, again, going to come back to uh, thinking about, is this a good thing to do just for my users, my visitors uh, to my site? And you know, a lot of people said in the beginning, uh, when this first was coming out, they said, well, this is important for obviously for like e-commerce sites or any site that asks for uh, secured information, personal information, you know, obviously, you know, they should be secured. But your average website, you know, if it's mostly a content or publishing site, now you don't need that. But I think some Googlers made some good points on that and saying that as people become more aware of this, the general public becomes more aware that that HTTPS means something um, up there that they're going to begin to look for it on sites and they're going to begin to expect that because uh, any site these days is in some, almost any site, you know, major site is, is mining information from you in some way uh, or, you know, you're, you're exposing yourself just by being there in some way. So people are going to want to feel that, you know, do I have that extra layer of security? It seems like, you know, when we talk about these two things, 
you know, in discussion for 2016, you know, people always say, well, what's the future of SEO? What's the future of SEO, right? Or, or mm. should SEOs be worried? It seems like it's actually becoming a stronger skill set because it's no longer as easy as saying, follow this guide to SEO. It becomes decision making, you know, yeah. um, it becomes yeah. balancing and saying, look, you know, we need this for the quality of what we're you know, delivering. And it's going to cost us a little bit on, on our SEO, or it's going to cost us a little mm. bit on some of our scoring. So we have That's, to kind of balance more, and we have to make decisions that typically take a lot longer, like years-wise. It's going to be a lot harder for people to come in and say, I've been doing SEO for two years, and I've read about it, and be able to really solve some of these bigger problems. It's going to take people with a lot of multiple areas of expertise to kind of balance this out. That's a great point, a very insightful point, Brent, because what we're seeing is that more and more, it's always been a part of our philosophy at, at Stone Temple Consulting, but we're seeing more and more with our clients, a lot of what we have to do is education. Uh, education and helping them with that decision-making, that priority setting that you're talking about. So it's not just a matter anymore of doing an audit and saying, okay, here's some basic technical problems that your site has, here's what you have to do to fix them. But it's looking at all these things we've been talking about, and we haven't even hit some of the, the other big things that are happening and have to be thought about. And we've got to be an ally because then, you know, if we're working with a, with a, a large brand like we do, uh, and we're working with the SEO department of that brand or the marketing department, uh, they feel we can just throw all these recommendations at them and they feel overwhelmed. Well, you know, we can't, we only have so much budget, we only have so many, much manpower. Uh, so what we have to do is help them to prioritize, help them to assess like what is most impactful to us and our users, uh, what should we be giving resources to first. And that's becoming almost as important, maybe as important as any of the technical things that we help them to do. I, I, yeah, I, I would I would, I would, say that's absolutely true. I mean, the technical stuff, you know, in some ways, is, as the technical stuff became less technical, you know, as it became kind of a lot of these issues back in the day, three, four, five years ago, there was a lot of like things that you had to spoon feed. As a lot of that's gone away, mm -hmm. we kind of attributed a lot of, you know, Matt Cutts kind of slipping away or other individuals or some of the focus kind of going away. We thought, well, it's because it's just gotten more plug and play and I think that it's just evolved and I think that you know it, it's something that's super important to consider and think about more and more uh, you mentioned that you haven't even mentioned all of the things in 2016 <laughs> so I, I want to kind of keep you on that and say well what else have we not mentioned that people need to be paying attention to well let's talk about content we mentioned that before you know I, I mentioned I said that you know there's that overused phrase content is king and then everybody just says, okay, well, what, does that, what does that really mean? What does, that, does mean? that mean, yeah. impact anything? And I think we're seeing a maturing. It's interesting to watch this. As I, in the years I've been in the industry, and I know you've seen it too, Brent, over time is that you know, these different waves of things come in, and they're the new thing, they're exciting, whether it's social media or whatever it is. And you know, for a while, it's like just everybody just does it because that's what everybody's doing. You know, you got to do social media. Just do social media. And then there comes a certain point a few years in where there's a, a maturing that starts to happen and people realize like, okay, now we've got to talk about where are we really getting value from this and how much time are we spending on it? What are we getting in return for that? And I think we're seeing that with content now. And there's been you know, a lot of talk. It probably started with, uh, everybody knows, you know, Mark Schaefer's content shock article 
uh, over, I guess it's, oh gosh, is that almost two years now mm-hmm. uh, since he published that? Um, I, you know, like a lot of people, I don't agree with everything in that. I, I think that it's, um, I think he has some points that are accurate. You know, con- there's no denying that the amount of content that's thrown at us is increasing. I, I don't see it kind of as a zero-sum game as he portrays it. But on the other hand, it's undeniable that it's not, it's getting harder and harder to get your stuff noticed. And, uh, you know, it's not as easy as it, if, you know, I don't think it ever was really easy, but it's certainly uh, harder now to uh, get anything out there that's going to just get mass attention and, you know, have huge amounts of eyeballs on it, huge amounts of people talking about it and sharing it and that sort of stuff. And, you know, a more recent uh, wake up call on that was this big study that uh, came out from, uh, who was it? Uh, it was BuzzSumo. And Buzz, BuzzSumo is an app that a company that uh, does an incredible job of collecting social sharing st- statistics. And I think BuzzSumo is the only one that paid to have the uh, the Twitter numbers still, right? Right, they're one of the few. You know, there's there's some very very big data companies, um, but those are companies that don't work with the general public. I think BuzzSumo is the only one that I know of that is a public available app that. Did you know? Did pay the ransom to uh, get access to the actual Twitter uh, share counts? Yes, so they they have that information available, um, which makes them them valuable. But they're valuable for a lot of things, and they look at that. But they did a great study in, in partnership with Moz uh, a few months ago, that was quite eye opening. And you know what what they basically said was that uh, you know they looked at a hundred thousand random posts. These are posts from all different kinds of of sites, you know, high authority, low authority, big, well-known, little known, all over the, over the map. And they said that 75% of those pages, those, those blog posts they looked at, had zero external links to them. 75% had zero external links. And even among the 25% that had any links at all, most of them had only a very few, like a handful of scattering, and most of those weren't from very, you know, authoritative sites. So there's kind of a, you know, one percenters club here, you know, kind of a, uh, the rich get richer, that there's only a very small amount of content out there relative to all the content that's published that gets links. And then the other thing is that it's also true of social, social shares, always a hard word for me to say, <laughs> you know, um, that uh, most of those, that 75% of them had 39 or fewer shares total of any social network. So, you know, the, va- the bottom line of their study was that, you know, the vast majority of, there's, you know, tons of content being published and most of it's not getting seen or not getting any real results. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's so crazy too because one of the things, you know, be, uh, you know I have uh, Pixel Road Designs, right, which is our design firm. And so one of the mm-hmm. things that we always notice and we always talk about is the fact that study after study will talk about how much faster the brain processes visual content, right? Um, you know, how you know, how infographics can be very effective, all of these different things. But a lot of times what people end up doing when they read all these studies about how great visual content is, is that they grab a stock photo and throw it in their written article and they say, well, (laughs) there it goes. Now it's going to, now it's going to work. And it's like, well, I I think you kind of missed the point uh, uh, of that data. So it kind of just, you know, further gives example to the fact that, you know, we, we need to really understand that quality is about real quality and not how much yeah. do I have to do to meet the bare minimum quality metric to succeed. 
which yeah. I think is still the way people are looking oh, at it. Oh, absolutely. And the phrase that I always use is, you know, there has to be some there, there. There has to be, yeah. there has to be something of substance. At the end of the day, you know, people look at, and we've put out studies on social engagement that, you know, look at the, the, the bare stats of how, you know, does, how much hashtags affect, how much does an image in a social share affect, how much does it, you know, in terms of the amount of engagement you get. And those things have a truth up to a point. But if you take them exactly as you just said, you say, well, okay, you know, if uh, I get more retweets and more uh, uh, more share reshares or whatever, and more comments on uh, a social share, if I include an image and I have a hashtag and I have at least one link, then I'll just do all those things in all my tweets and expecting results. Those things can help, but at the end of the day, they're helping. If you look really, you get down out of the stats and look at the actual posts, they're helping most, having the most significant effect on things that are great, on things that have, you know, really saying something substantive. So, it, you know, it's not just, you can, there's no magic tricks. There's no, just like we learned with SEO, right? It's not just sprinkling some kind of fairy dust on your social posts and then they start to work. Well, so, Go ahead. I would say, well, just to kind of emphasize that, we actually did on Search Engine Journal, we did a Google Plus hashtag study for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And to that exact point, we didn't study how things performed with or without hashtags. We actually took posts, did the exact same post without hashtags and the exact same post with hashtags. Same general category, kept everything very similar to see yeah, hashtags, everybody says hashtags on Google are super, super important, but to your point, if when we did that study where all we did is just add and take off the hashtag, we saw virtually no difference. Mm -hmm. It wasn't yeah. that it was adding it that made it great. It was good content yeah. with the hashtags right. really so caused you, it to So you have to keep in mind that any of these engagement studies are always correlation studies, right? They're just yeah. correlating presence of a hashtag or presence of an image or whatever it might be to uh, increased engagement, increased shares, that sort of thing. And you have to ask yourself, is it possible, and we th I think all these results that we're uh, seeing point this way, that the kinds of posts that are really excellent and extraordinary and above the average content are also the kind of posts that will tend to do those other things as well, that mm -hmm. people are paying attention. So they're going to have good images and they're going to use hashtags and they're going to you know, do the, craft their posts very carefully. Uh, so you know, it, it, it may be just as much not just the presence of a hashtag or an image or something, as it is that these a lot of those posts are just people who are paying more attention and putting more care into their content. True. So, so the other, go ahead. Go. Well, I just do, want to show like, the other thing yeah. that was interesting out of the, the BuzzSumo Moz study was that they found that for the most part of, of the then they looked just focused on okay let's just look at the content that is getting a lot of shares or a lot of links even though it's very long tail it's very tiny amount out of the total content. What's working there? And the other thing that they found was very interesting is that most content gets shares or links, but not both. The vast majority of that content, either it gets highly shared or it gets a lot of links, but very little content gets both. Now, there is content that gets both, sure. and they call it the sweet spot, you know, kind of the Venn diagram overlap between shares and links. And that may be the kind of content that you want to be thinking about uh, trying to create. Well, well, that kind of makes sense, right? Because shares is more about virality, right? It's right. like more, and, and links is more about resource. And you don't typically have resource become viral and viral be a resource. Right. So they so did that find... That kind of makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, it totally does. And that, that's why that happens is because there are, you know, we know obviously the you know, BuzzFeed kind of content 
uh, where it's, you know, here's 10 amazing things, and the, the, the fourth one will blow your mind, uh, is, you know, highly shareable. It's, it's the kind of stuff that people love to share, but it's, it's a flash in the pan. Yep. There's nothing, nobody's going to remember it two days from now. Certainly nobody, you know, why would you link to that? You know, it's not really a resource. It's just there to make a splash for a day or two and then be gone. So it, you're exactly right. But there is some content, and, and BuzzSumo looked deeper and saw some characteristics of, of content that uh, does, that can tend to get both, can get highly shared and drive links. Um, the first characteristic is opinion-forming journalism. So uh, that doesn't just mean like a New York Times article. It can sure. be something in any industry where you're not just spouting facts or you're not just giving the news, reporting the news, but you're taking a stand um, and you're saying, you're saying something, you're putting yourself out there and saying like, this is what we're seeing and this is where we think it's going. And it gets people talking about it. And that's highly shareable because if you, especially if you gain some reputation as an expert in whatever area you're in, then people are interested in your opinion, they're going to share it, but it also does become a resource down the line. That's something that can be talked about. You know, I, I look back and I see the articles that I've written over the years that's, that have gotten the most, that, that have been sweet spot articles where they've gotten a lot of shares and a lot of links are, many of them are in this category where yeah. I stuck my neck out and said, here's what I'm seeing and I think this is the way it's going. You might disagree with me, but I, you know, this is my opinion and that's one. So that's one um, another, another kind is data-driven research studies. Uh, again, those are very interesting to people because they, you know, they, they make a point about something, they prove something, or they dissuade a myth about something. Highly shareable. People want to share that because it's interesting. Maybe it's something that uh, was unexpected. And also, it's a resource. It's an obvious resource, something that people refer to for years to come. And then uh, the last thing that they found was that longer-form content tends to do very, uh, better with this sweet spot of getting both links and uh, thing. Again, that shouldn't be taken as we were saying earlier, caveat here or, or disclaimer. Uh, that doesn't mean that just producing, writing longer, writing more words means you're going to get share, more shares and links. Nonetheless, we're going to see a boost in that after this comes out because that's what will happen. <laughs> <laughs> so please, people, if you're hearing anything in this, say like, these things are interesting, but what they are really, they are symptoms. They are not the cause. And so the symptom, what they are the symptom of is uh, what Rand Fishkin recently called 10x content. Content that is not just good, but that it is 10 times better than any of the 10 things on the first page of Google for the, the main search query for that content. That's what you. That's what you got to be aiming for. And, and people have to remember that are you know that that there was a time period when volume of content meant something, and that was when, you know, it was fresh. Blogs were popping up. People needed to write constantly. They needed links constantly. Social was important, right? It's like, oh my God, we got to get these social links and these signals. So write twelve updates a day, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the more updates we get, because you know there was a smaller audience, and it, and it, and and we saw over the last two years in social from the social side of things, and we've seen over the last six years in, in, in links, that they're, they're much harder to get. People, you know, especially links because, you yeah. know, partly because a lot of people went to social, it's much easier to share something, you know, in your day-to-day -day life than to say, I'm going to go back and write an article about this. But um, especially in social, the newness factor is gone. Like, and, and the volume is too large and, and the social sites have made a strong effort. So when we, t you know, when we talk about quality content, it really does mean like, 
the quantity doesn't need to be there anymore. You don't need to have an update every day. Yeah. You don't need to have an article every single day. What you need to do is publish nothing that isn't worth publishing. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you an example of that from our own experience and our own site. You know, as you know, uh, at Stone Temple Consulting, we've invested a lot over the years and even more in the last year or two in, uh, in doing big data studies, you know, uh, producing studies that mm-hmm. uh, on SEO and social media and content that uh, take a lot of time and investment and a lot of resources to produce and, and to do well. But they tell a story when they're, when, you know, when they're done right, they come out, there's a story there to tell. And it's information that's useful to people. Well, I was looking at our analytics for 2015, and you know, I was shocked to find 54% of all the traffic on our site was to those nine or ten major studies that we published last year. So we publish a lot of content every year, but 54% of the content of the traffic was to those studies, uh, and that's because it wasn't. You know, the, the amount was surprising to me, but it wasn't surprising to me that they were driving most of the traffic because, without a doubt, those are the things that get most shared and most linked to uh, from our site. And we find people like, you know, every day almost, I you know, open up and I look and I find that uh, there are new links to a study that we did nine, ten over months over a year ago uh, because people are seeing those now. And, now, you know, because of all that activity, those studies are all performing very well in search. So somebody's writing an article. About, exactly. Uh, you know, Siri versus Cortana versus um, Google Now. You know, a study that we did a year and a half ago almost, and our resource comes up, our study comes up, and it gets mentioned, it gets linked, um, and so it's continuously driving new traffic to our site. That's one of the things that we also focus on when we try to put together concepts for infographics. We try to think about like the resourcefulness of stuff. Like, and I think that you can do that in any form of content to think about like, okay, if, if I'm positioning this, how can I position this in a way that it becomes the best link resource for somebody else who wants to summarize this discussion? Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. and I think that's that's yeah. that's a way of looking at how how can is this quality is this long form content that that can be useful to somebody, and I think that that's a great way of getting long term like links to content, like you've noticed. Absolutely. So um, we've kind of run out of time, so uh, you know I'm going to have to go ahead and cut it out and everything. I wanted to talk to you a little bit more, so we'll have to come back and maybe do a follow up one in the future and talk a little bit more about the studies. I want to get some more information, kind of on what you guys are doing there. Um, maybe we can uh, get your information, and then we'll close out with some of your biggest learnings from the studies. So if anybody wants to find you online, they want to hear from you, they want to know a little bit more, how can they find you and get in touch with you? Well, this is my favorite thing to be asked these days because uh, I have one Google for my name. So, <laughs> and you understand this too. Having a, a fairly unique name uh, helps, but uh, you've also got to earn it. So, um, if you just Google me, Mark Trapagan, that's T R A P H A G E N. Uh, I am the whole first page of Google for my name. Uh, and yes, there actually was some competition for that a few years ago, but uh, I've wiped them out. So <laughs> you'll find there uh, all of my my main social sites uh, come up very high in search. I'm very active on social media. So any of those places, you know, Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you can, uh, you can contact me there. 
It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And as I said, um, I want you to go ahead and close it out by just, you know, picking two or three things that you can remember from the studies that you guys have done that you think were really impactful. I mean, you kind of talked a little bit about the buzz sumo, but from some of the stuff that you guys did, what would you say are two or three of the biggest takeaways that you got personally? Okay. Well, one is certainly, and this will be maybe a little teaser about something we can talk about in a future podcast. And that is, we've been doing a lot of uh, looking into what we call, everybody calls a different name for it. We call the rich Google rich answers. Uh, it's, it's the increasing amount of questions that, excuse me, Google is answering directly in search. And that was another, you know, shocking wake up call to a lot of our industry saying like, you know, wait a minute, this is stuff that people always had to click through to a website for. And now they, they're getting the answer right on the search page. Uh, so they don't have to click anywhere else. But the, uh, the lesson that we've been learning there is that even when Google does something that seems to be like hurting us or taking away our traffic or uh, going after something where we've gotten traffic in the past, you can be smart and savvy and you can, instead of just complaining about it and whining about it, you can find ways to help Google out with that that actually drive traffic to you. And these, uh, these rich answers are one of those areas. So because of the way that Google constructs them, they do take them for the most part, from third-party sites, uh, the answers, but they, they do have a link to the site. If uh, We've been doing a lot of research on, first of all, how you can get into one of those answers, answer boxes, on the Google search page, and how you can construct an answer that is likely to still get people to click through to your site. So now you've gone from it being a liability, where Google's kind of stolen your content, stolen your answer, and featured it right on the page, to saying Google's got us in a special box above all the other search results and we're getting huge traffic. And we've seen numerous examples of this of people getting un, you know, just unbelievable traffic boosts from being in one of these answer boxes. So that's, a, you know, I think the overall, again, we can talk more detail about that another time, but I think the overall lesson there is sometimes, you know, just it never pays to whine and complain about something. If a change has happened, the change has happened. What you need to do is say, is there a way that we can turn this to our advantage? And if not, then how do we adapt to it? How do we do something different that's going to uh, still help us to, to thrive in that environment? So that, that's, you know, that's one thing I think overall that we've learned. Uh, and then another, you know, I'll just give you, give you one more. Uh, and I think that is, you know, we've already kind of said it, but I want to reemphasize it. Uh, more and more, it, if you're going to be in the content game at all, I think it behooves you to uh, much emphasize quality over quantity. Uh, that's not to say, I think there's still a reward for being consistent, but it, I don't think the old uh, chestnut about content that it, the most important thing is just to be churning something out two or three times a week applies at all anymore, has any value. So having a few really amazing pieces that become the definitive answer, the definitive resource for whatever the question out there might be is far more valuable in the long run for your site than being able to produce, you know, 75, 80, 100, 150 articles all over the place. And I think that that, you know, that leads to so many of the other things that are important right now, um, you know, as far as like how, you know, what that returns for you. Uh, mm -hmm. That I think it's just, I think it's a, it's a big focus that I think people should really look at today. Uh, in my opinion, that's one of the things that I focus on a lot when I'm, you know, advising anyone of like, Hey, I'm we're trying to get started. What do you think? Focus on quality. Like yeah. if there's anything I can tell you, focus on quality. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, it's a pleasure. 
Uh, I love talking to you. I love that you were able to make this uh, podcast with me, and uh, I look forward to having you again in the future. I look forward to that as well. Plenty more we can talk about. Cheers. This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.